Charlotte, North Carolina. Love Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. Did you ever come here and, and just uh, just play around with everything that the city offers? Uh, well, I was transportation in North Carolina for two and a half years. Wow. So I, I came there and got yelled at a lot about I-77. So, <laughs> um, uh, uh, but uh, no, I lo- love the whole area. Um, I lived in Raleigh um, for you know about five years and um, Wilmington for a couple of years. So a uh, long time North Carolina hand. Wow. Uh, Fort Bragg for several years. So I've lived in North Carolina more of my adult life than anywhere else. Well, it's such a beautiful area, and you're right about I I seventy seven. It's it's worth getting in an argument over it because I mean, it, it, <laughs> so many people. You know, I'll tell you that's how you can tell a true Carolinian, and and that is is that the people that that knew before I seventy seven was created and what they had to do to move around, and now you look at it going, I I just I just wow. Yeah, a lot of cars moving back and forth, and um, I was uh, when, when Pat McCrory was the governor. Yeah. I was his secretary of transportation for two and a half years, and you know had uh, meetings with all the mayors up and down that corridor, and they said, "Please give us the the managed lane." And then um, you know the there was you know people who thought that you know there should be a different way. There was really no other way, and. You know, this that had been a project in works for many, many years. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, now I was down there. You know, I'm on the board of a company in uh, Huntersville. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm down there quite a bit now. And and uh, certainly seems to be working uh, to some degree anyway. Wow. You, you, you bring up the governor. Uh, I was I was his DJ every time he ran for mayor. And so we, we would always have our parties together. And to this day, Pat and I see each other. And it's I mean, he's just a guy. I mean, he's just a regular guy who likes just being a part of of making decisions. Was it was it easy to work with him? Yeah, no, I loved it. Um, you know, I mean, he asked me to bring, I played baseball in college and he asked me to bring in a couple of gloves and a couple of balls. And we'd, instead of having meetings in the office, we'd toss the baseball and work through uh, different problem sets. I mean, great guy. You love working with him. Yeah. When did you discover that you were the author? I mean, anybody can sit down and tell a story or even write out a story, but you are an author. You are a wordsmith. Yeah. So ever since I was a kid, I wanted oh, yeah. to be an author. And um, I, I, I um, started, you know, I was always a big reader, still am. And at some point in my late teens, early 20s, I, I started reading um, how to write because I became curious about why these authors were able to create such uh, well plotted stories and that held my attention in such a way. And so I began reading how to write a mystery, how to write a thriller, how to how to write in general. Um, uh, Stephen King's Dante Macabre, uh, um, you know, on writing are probably two of the uh, best things to to read. Um, that certainly that I read, and then uh, several other books about you know how to how to capture somebody in the first five pages, that kind of thing. Um, and then I just started writing. Tom Clancy had said. If you want to be a writer, then start writing. Um, I remember reading that a long time ago, and so I just started writing. And when the when the uh, you know I still have spiral notebooks before <laughs> before uh, PCs and dating myself. Uh, my days at West Point, I'd sit in my bed at night and I would you know write these stories in freehand and and um, 
And then I have all those spiral notebooks and then they became sort of the foundation for the first series of books. Once the PC or the Mac was invented, I, you know, I got the basic uh, software word processing and just began writing and uh, certainly made it easier um, to, to uh, write and store and, and update. And, um, you know, my first four books essentially I, I wrote in the evenings when I was active duty um, uh, and, and just um, stored them away. And then I met Brad Thor, a big, big author in the thriller genre, and he introduced me to a publisher who liked the, the books, liked that I had three or four completed, um, uh, signed me to a, a deal, and off we, off we went. And when the third book in that series, Hidden Threat, uh, was um, in uh, Barnes and Noble on the new releases. Scott Miller from Trident Media Agency, which yeah. I guess nosing around there, and he he called me up and said, "Hey, do you have an agent?" And I said, "No, I don't actually." And he said, um, "Let's let's do it." And Scott's been a great agent. He got me, um, you know, uh, I, I've done sixteen books. It looks like I'll do another two. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so. And that's you know all Scott's work uh, negotiating these deals for me. What listeners don't understand about about being an author and writing books is the amazing amount of time it takes to put a story together. Because I mean, my last book took me two and a half years. That's time I'm not going to get back. How do you feel about that experience when you, when you with 16 books? That's all time. I mean, were you journaling? Were you doing things just to make sure that you didn't lose what was going on around you? Um, no, I I, I think. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I use a Mac, and so in that little yellow notes function, if I have a good idea, if I see something in a newspaper, I take a picture of it, yeah. and then I, I stuck it up through my iPhone into that. And um, I, I, but I, I, I'm a free writer. Uh, I write um, just, uh, you know, I just start. Mm-hmm. I have an mm-hmm. idea, and and. Um, and then as the plot gels and the, the, you know, the characters are kind of telling me what they want to That's do. It. So um, then, the, <laughs> yep. Um, I, I, um, I then frame out a little bit of an outline. Um, uh, this next book I'm working on, I've done a more significant outline, but um, uh, just because, you know, I felt like um, given the given the plot and the editor asking me to do something a little different, um, I, I'm, I needed to be a little bit more diligent in outlining. So I have, and I've got a pretty good outline per chapter for about forty chapters for this next book. But um, Phalanx Code, you know, I, I've been writing um, every you know book a year for the last you know whatever uh 15 years and and so you know six seven months to create the first draft um uh, at west point we used to have the saying that first draft equal, rough draft equals final copy that's certainly not the case <laughs> and, and um um uh and and the author business and so um i send it i sent phalanx code to my editor, Mark Resnick at Sam Martin's, and he said, love it, make these following changes and let's see what it looks like. And and then uh, certainly uh, I did, and he said, okay, awesome, great book. Um, and he sends it to the editors, and then we get into the editorial process. And so it's about a 12-month endeavor yep. if you're doing one book a year. And then this time of year, 
is crazy because today is book release day for Phalanx Code. One of the things that, that I uh, learned in, in reading more about General Sinclair is not only, it's the idea of how did this even drop into your heart? Because you're talking about being a free writer. He's a free agent and he, and he plays by his own rules, but then you've got this, this Phalanx uh, um, uh, assassin squad that puts him in the game. Garrett Sinclair and the team he's working with believes that, that it's, it's a kill list of everybody the Phalanx Corporation yeah. is attempting to kill. And so um, uh, they, uh, but uh, the best uh, cryptologists in the world can't break it. And uh, so Sinclair goes on a mission to uncover what it's all about himself. And that's where, you know, we get into the international travel and intrigue and the funding games take place, uh, as they say in the script writing business. And um, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you got carnivores wanting to control uh, data and work with governments to put their jackboot on your neck. Um, and uh, then you've got Elon Musk yep. Yep. trying to protect free speech and, and so forth. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a struggle between um, uh, those two and, and certainly um, the, the, the narrative drive uh, takes its own path there. And it's, it's a fun read. It's already getting great reviews on yeah. Goodreads and Amazon. Garrett's been with you since 2021. So, I mean, you really know this character inside and out. Yeah, he's actually been with me longer than that because my Jake Mahegan novels, all six of them, where I I called him something different, but it's the same guy. Um, I just didn't want there to be um, any issues but because I I thought I might be continuing uh, the one series. But anyway, um, he's... He's been the commander of these special missions for nine books now, um, six in the Mahegan series, uh, where he's just a cameo guy. And he was always the guy that would show up at the end of the book um, and snatch Jake away from his new love interest and make him go on a different mission. And so he's kind of a hard ass in that regard. (laughs) And and, uh, Mahegan and he uh, had a um, love-hate relationship, but... Uh, Jake makes a big comeback in this. Uh, you know, I kept getting all these emails from my readers saying, bring Mahegan back. And I, so I talked to my editor and he said, yeah, go for it. And um, so Jake has a central role in the story, as does the entire universe of people. It was fun from my Jake Mahegan series and then obviously from the Garrett Sinclair series because it's really all the same uh, group of people thematically it's it's the same and and uh, certainly um, these characters I know very very well wow wow now when when you're putting these characters together do you ever act it out away from the book so that you can get a real general reaction of what 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 people will do or is it all created right inside that imagination first um, I, I it's for, for me it, it's I have the the characters um begin to do what they've done and and i could have plotted out something and it happens every book and the character is it's like almost talking to me it sounds crazy but says no i'm going to do this and um 
and and so that's uh, the beauty of writing i think it's uh, you know there's a, that art to it where um, yeah you can scientifically do an outline and prepare and there's a little creativity in there of course but um, then when you're actually writing um, and you're letting the characters uh, flex a little bit that's that's to me the fun part yeah. and then you discover something new and you have these eureka moments you have these epiphanies <laughs> that like oh wow uh, here's this if all this was happening then this would certainly happen and i hadn't even thought about that so i need to incorporate that so um yeah it's uh uh uh, you know, I, I and, and the reverse happens too. I get so caught up in the story. I, I wrote um, in Direct Fire, a really, really great story yeah. in the mountains of North Carolina there. And um, uh, the the um, uh, I have Jake Mahegan doing a squirrel suit jump, and I forget to put a parachute on him. We we corrected that, but uh, yeah, he comes in for this perfect landing as if he's like a glider or something. But um, you know, uh, I, I get so caught up in the moment sometimes that uh, I forget some key key aspects, and, and and readers will let you know in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, for sure, uh, as they should. See this so. this is every bit the reason why when when I go to schools to talk with students that I realize that teachers really want them to read books, but I but I want those students also to be writers to use their own imaginations and put it to work on a computer or just get a sheet of paper. But y- your passion for it is just it's you know it's very in, in, it's effective. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I, for for me, um, the 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 love of writing keeps me writing. Yeah. It's it's uh, e- even though you know I'm being paid to do it, and um, I, you know I, I enjoy doing it. Um, it's 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 a passion. It's like you know, it's like being a any kind of artist, a painter, a musician, a writer. You know, anything in the creative field, um, you've really got to love it to do it well i think um and and so far you know i haven't stopped loving it and um i talked to an author last night a well-known author who came to my book signing down here last night in palm beach and and you know he's taken a pause he said you know i quit i quit loving it and and you know that's the right thing right and so um because your readers want your your level best effort because they're paying you know 10 20 bucks for for um entertainment and they deserve 10 or 20 bucks worth of entertainment um and and that's that's just the way it is wow wow all right now so here's here's the the next step of of the book series do you want it to be on netflix as a movie on a big screen or do you want a 12-part binge watching out of these books (laughs) <laughs> I'll take either. You know, I've had a lot of, I, I've had a lot of film interests. I've had a lot of streaming interests, and I think, you know, politics got involved. You know, when when um, I got hired by President Trump, you know, a couple of things went away. Yeah, which is fine. I, you know, I don't begrudge anybody. You know, the political environment in the country right now is is something that um, you know I'm really concerned about. Um, I, we've got to quit uh, defining people by their worst moment instead yep. of celebrating their best moments. We've got to quit uh, branding and labeling. We've got to quit this dehumanization that's going on. Uh, it's happening, and it and it's uh, intentional. Um, uh, and and we've just got to stop it. And I don't know how 
to stop it. You know, I was always a solutions oriented yes. leader. Um, uh, people make mistakes and yeah, you move past that and you continue to live your life. And um, uh, it, it's, it's uh, we're in a really tough spot right now, in my opinion. So um, I, I think that uh, we, we can, um, uh, you know, if we could all step back and say, you know, what are we doing? Nobody's getting out of here alive. You know, why aren't we all trying to, um, you know, be better, do better, be, be, um, you know, better citizens to help one another. That's to me, the real issue. And, and it's, um, it's just not, um, I, I, you know, maybe too far gone. I, I think, um, you know, all of these social media venues that, where you can actually tap into people's mind, you know, they call it the hive mind and all that kind of thing. Um, you see, you know, the, the best of humanity and the, the worst of humanity. And it's really, really ugly. Mm -hmm. All right. And where people can opine and do opine about things. And you say, how could someone be so fresh, you know, celebrating somebody's death just because they were on the other side of the political aisle. I mean, there's, there's families, there's children, there's parents, you know, whatever involved here and, you know, the, the finality of all of that. Um, but, you know, people do. And, and, and then that, that makes you question humanity uh, alone. And that's part of phalanx code. That's, you know, Garrison Clare's struggle is this political division and in, in the phalanx code that he sees in the country. Yep. Is it worth it? to go put his men, his family at risk, um, should he help this Project Optimus uh, to, um, uh, you know, protect, uh, supposedly protect individual information? Uh, what does Phalanx Corporation mean to him? And uh, certainly there's a family secret in there with his grandfather <laughs> that's involved. Um, and so how, how does he reconcile that should he sacrifice more for an ungrateful nation, uh, what he perceives to be an ungrateful nation? Um, and and certainly one could draw the conclusion that given you know the political climate today, uh, there's not a lot of gratitude right. for those young men and women that are out there serving. There's wow. not a lot of gratitude for the law enforcement officers that are quote unquote being defunded. There's not a lot of gratitude for the border patrol officers that are being overwhelmed um, uh, you know, on the southern uh, border. Uh, so um, you could, you know, so I tap into this uh, culture, um, you know, the pop culture, if you call it, uh, kind of where we are today, and and um, try to pull that in in an apolitical way. I'm not prophesizing any kind of politics. I'm not telling people how to think. I'm just painting the backdrop that <laughs> that is out there today, and people can, you know, um, you know, get get uh, get into that, or they can they can disagree with the backdrop. But uh, I think I do a pretty good job of. <laughs> I, I mean, it's indisputable that we're a very divided country. You know, I, I had a conversation with uh, someone the other day that uh, certainly, if we had 9/11 happen today. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know that there would be the uh, unanimity that we had back in two thousand one. Right. I, I think that you would have a large portion of the country celebrating um, an attack like that on Wall Street, on 
the uh, defense establishment on uh, our capital and on our government. So and, and that to me, you know, just 20 some years later is, is a pretty sad commentary. Wow. General, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for all of your writing and the stories. Could you give us an escape, sir? Thank you. I appreciate it.